Welcome to Fadeaways and Fundamentals. I am your host, Andre Pirano. Each week we bring you an inspiring person or a message to unlock your true grit. Today, Ryan and I talk to the assistant coach for the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, Cody Topper. My man Cody drops crazy hoop knowledge today, guys, in this interview. This is a part one of a two-part interview. Stay tuned. Cody, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Glad to have the opportunity to get on with you guys. Oh, appreciate you, my man. So we're here with Cody Topper. Cody, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm uh, currently an assistant coach for the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, the NBA Development League affiliate of the Houston Rockets. Uh, we're here in playoff time right now. We're in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, game two is coming up tomorrow against the Oklahoma City Thunders D-League team called the OKC Blue. So we uh, we need to get a victory to extend the series, and you know things are going so so pretty well so far. So we'll see. Uh, what happens if we get on the court tomorrow? Awesome. Speaking of the D-League, they're changing the name to the G-League next year, right? Yeah, Gatorade came in with a big sponsorship. I mean, they already provide us with a lot of uh, supplements and, and obviously the drink and the recovery and all that type of stuff for the players. But they made a significant investment in the league. Uh, we're adding three new expansion teams next year. So we're getting closer and closer to there being, you know, 30 D-League teams, wow. one-to-one affiliates. Uh, when we get there, that'll be a really exciting point in time. But you know, it's, it's a great time to be a part of the D-League, soon to be at the G-League. You know, with the new CBA coming into place, there's two additional spots on each NBA roster for what are called two-way contracts. You know, so you're going to see more players, you know, going back and forth from the D-League to the yeah. NBA and vice versa. So it should be a lot of fun. It's like Derek Jones Jr. He bounced back a lot with the Suns affiliate in them. Yeah, he went back yeah. and forth a yeah. lot. And obviously, they're a team that, that struggled towards the end of the season, so it made sense for them to you know, bring him up and actually play him minutes. I mean, we have Troy Troy Williams uh, played at Indiana, played on our team one night. He scored uh, 19 points for the RGV Vipers. The next night he scored 21 for the Houston Rockets. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of translation that goes on and the difference, you know, between the levels. I mean, there is a difference, no question about it. But the difference in the players and the play styles and all that type of stuff is really small. Yeah. It'll be awesome to see when there's 30 teams and there could be a real alternative for a lot of players to go to the, to the soon-to-be-called G League instead of having to go one and done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there will definitely be an opportunity at that point in time to, you know, to bypass college altogether and go to the G League. And, and with the new two-way contracts and the, the change of shot salary structures, you know, there's going to be better monetary compensation for the D League players, which in and of itself will also help bring some of those high-level uh, European players yeah. that are American that end up going to Europe or go to China. They might stick around and, and stay in America to play. So, you know, the level of the league, the quality of the players, uh, it's only going to continue to increase. And what we've seen this, you know, in recent years, specifically the last two years, is an increase in the commitment to things like the facilities for the D-League and, and that type of stuff. You know, a lot of teams have their own practice facilities. We have a beautiful practice facility for our team, two courts, coaches' offices, training room, you know, hot tubs, cold tubs, weight room, all that type of stuff, coaches' offices just for us very similar to a college setup, which is outstanding. So, you know, wow. the more the league continues to develop and the more talent it continues to put to the NBA that has success, the more players that have success within the D-League, too, only adds to the value. Oh, yeah, most definitely. 
So when when you guys have your D League All Star games, if they don't call it the G Unit next year, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be extremely disappointed. <laughs> no, they really should. I think that's a that's a great point. It's gonna be weird. I, I have no question about it. The G League, just the sound of it. Yeah. You know, people say hey, it's the Gangster League or whatever, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I get what Gatorade wants to do. They want to put their name on it, and they're making a commitment, so they want it to be reciprocated. So, you know, it's going to take a lot of getting used to, no doubt. For sure. Yeah. Hey, so um, you come from a basketball family. Uh, You were a two-time All-American in New Mexico. And then you also played at the uh, ABCD camp. Was that really big for exposure? Because I know that I played in that as a kid, and that got me huge exposure, and that's how... I was able to get looked at to go to college. Yeah, so, uh, you know, coming out from Albuquerque, New Mexico, there was a lot of AAU teams, a lot of, you know, high-level AAU teams to to play on. In fact, I played baseball a lot of summers. And so, you know, essentially where I got all my exposure was from five-star camp, and then I got an invite to the ABCD camp for the top, you know, 150 players in America. I mean, I was at the camp, you know, with Carmelo's, LeBron James, the list goes on and on. Ben Gordon was on my team. I mean, you know, the coach of my team was Mike Brown, who, you know, is a former head coach of the Cavs, now an assistant with the Golden State Warriors. So it was high-level competition, chance to participate in front of a lot of college coaches. And for me, that was, you know, where I got a significant amount of my recruiting, you know, without question. And I think it was a great opportunity. You know, nowadays, obviously, things are a little bit more different in regards to AAU basketball. I mean, you're going to have to play, you know, in, in summer tournaments and stuff to really get seen. But, you know, when I was coming up, the camps were really where it's at, and a lot of coaches went to those camps. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I felt the same way. Another thing was I noticed that you went to Cornell. So, you you know, you're in Ivy League. That's where you played ball at. You're a phenomenal shooter there. Um, I think you're sixth in Ivy League history for threes. Another thing is your whole family went to the University of New Mexico. So did you get a lot of grief not going to the University of Mexico when your mom, your dad, and your brother went there? Yeah, so it was kind of interesting how that <laughs> happened. So my mom and dad both played for the University of New Mexico, had outstanding careers there. Um, and then I was, I'm the oldest of two, of two boys, so I've got a younger brother. Okay. And when I was coming up as a senior, actually, Fran Fraschilla, uh, the commentator, was the head coach at the University of New Mexico. And he you know didn't really recruit me recruited me very lightly never offered me a scholarship nothing like that so i really didn't even have the opportunity to turn new mexico down a lot of people oh. were asking why wasn't i going to the university of mexico but the reality of it is the university of mexico wasn't reciprocating any sort of love towards me so uh you know i i, I figured out what, what the next best opportunity was and for me it was cornell great decision great academics you know i got a great education there i was able to be a part of turning around that program and uh you know, so my family doesn't really give me too much grief about it. Obviously, my brother would come after me to have a highly successful year, a career at the University of New Mexico. He's still playing professionally now in Germany. And, you know, we still laugh about it, for sure. I'm the only non-Lobo in the family. But <laughs> in the same sense, the Lobos had to show me some love if I was ever going to be a Lobo, and that never happened. So yes. I was able to find the next best thing. Right. Now, you went to the NCAA tournament, and not everybody gets to do that. How was that experience for you? Well, actually... We didn't get to the tournament until the year after I left, so it's a funny story about that because essentially I was Steve Donahue's first recruit and went from literally the bottom of the Ivy League to the top. We were turning it around. My senior year, we sweeped Princeton, which was a huge deal. But 
while we were in the competition for the NCAA tournament first, because we did not have a tournament, Ivy League does not have a postseason tournament. While we were in competition for an NCAA tournament first, because you have to win the regular season of the Ivy League to get that done, we were not able to get it on the last day of the season. We actually ended our season with a victory at Brown University, but unfortunately the chips didn't fall the right way, and Penn was able to secure the automatic bid. So uh, it was unfortunate, but then the next year and the three years after that, uh, you know, Cornell goes on to win, you know, three Ivy League championships in a row and go to the Sweet 16. So, you know, to be a part of uh, helping build the culture, the winning culture and turning the program around, you know, is just something that's very uh, special to me. Cool. You you played against Carmelo, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So we played Syracuse every single year. You know, it was, it was fantastic being able to square off against, uh, you know, high-level competition. I mean, we played Syracuse the year they won the national championship and, you know, had a great game against them. I think I hit, you know, seven or eight three-pointers. Oh, nice. um, You know, we were able to really play them to a real tight, tight game. Ultimately, they were able to pull it out at the end, but it was a great experience experience to suit up in the Carrier Dome, see 30,000 people, crazy atmosphere, and go out and have success. You know, there were some other great teams that we were able to play along the way, but Syracuse was definitely a special atmosphere. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. Now, I know that you played pro ball and you played all over the world. How was that experience? I mean, going from, you know, different countries and playing and then actually but coming from like New Mexico. You yeah. Know? You know what? For me, it was more it wasn't just about the basketball, although don't get me wrong. It was certainly about the basketball, but a lot of it was about the culture. Right. And it was just a great experience to go and immerse yourself in these different cultures. My first year out, uh, I played in the D-League, actually, for the Albuquerque Thunderbirds, the team that would go on and win the championship for Michael Cooper. And then after that, went to New Zealand, you know, which was my first introduction to overseas basketball. Easy assimilation there. They speak English. But, you know, finally made it over to Europe into Portugal and really made some, some dear friends, uh, a Serbian buddy of mine, I still keep in touch with named Dusha Masura and Joao Gomes. So there were a lot of guys over there that I met that, you know, that I really was able to click with despite the fact that English wasn't near their best language. And it, it was just a great experience. And, and, and it continued from there, you know, going over and playing in Germany for a team that would win the Euro Challenge uh, Championship over there, one of the European competitions, you know, playing in Spain as well, in Italy. Ultimately, I finished, you know, playing in Mallorca, which is an island off the coast of Barcelona. Okay. And, uh, you know, me and my wife wow. had a blast, you know, getting to know people in those respective cities. We didn't just stay in our, our apartment all day, you know, doing all that. You know, so a lot of guys, a lot of young guys go over and just play video games all day. We tried to get out, see the sights, you know, be a part of the, the city, the culture, be a part of the, the community. And, and it was just a lot of fun, very rewarding experience, yeah. both on and off the court. You speak Spanish as well, don't you? Yes, yeah, sí, yo hablo uh, un poquito. Entiendo todo, pero habla así, así. Love it, love it. So you never really got, like, it never got difficult for you calling a place home then because you kind of just embraced their culture, is what you're saying. That's, exa- that's exactly it. That's cool. You know, I, the last I felt homesick was, I think, my first semester in college. And uh, when, when I realized that there was no no way in hell my dad was going to let me come home, I uh, said, so, oh, shoot, I'm going to give up on that and, uh, you know, and just, just suck it up. And really, you know, ever since then, I mean, not only did we live all over the world, but then, you know, got back, moved to Florida, was doing stuff in Florida. And now, you know, I live in McAllen, Texas, you know, for some of the year, spent a lot of time out in, up in Dallas, Texas as well. So, 
you know, home really is just, you know, what they say, where the heart is. You know, as long as I've got my family with me, you know, I really don't have any issues living anywhere in the world. Oh, yeah. And your daughter, and, and do you have another one expecting? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My, oh, my wow. wife's actually two centimeters dilated, and she's having some contractions now. Wow. So, you know, could be any day, could be a week. It's really hard to say, but... Um, we've got another daughter on the way, and uh, I've got one who's almost two right now. So definitely, it's uh, it's it's a whirlwind. It's a lot of fun, and we're having a blast. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have a name? You. Do you have a name already? Yeah. So uh, my daughter, who's uh, almost two, her name's Kinsley, and the one on the way, we're going with the name Riley. So she'll be Riley uh, Michelle Topper, and you know, definitely looking forward to meeting her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that's cool, man. Hey, how was it working? Um, well, you still do, though. How's it working with Gannon Baker? Yeah, so, you know, it was, uh, it was great when I retired in 2012. You know, I was able to attend one of Gannon's coaching clinics, which is an outstanding opportunity to learn. Uh, me and him hit it off and, you know, been working with him ever since. You know, he's, he's a guy who brings energy and passion to what he does. And he's got a great intellect for the game of basketball. And it's something that I highly respected. Uh, of him and, and so when he you know asked me if I wanted to move to Florida and you know run his academy you know I was I was really excited to take that opportunity and we were able to have some great success in the three years that we did that together and, and uh, you know I still keep in touch with him to this day he was actually in McAllen Texas for a camp with Romeo De La Garza yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately I was in Los Angeles playing in the uh, the playoffs so uh, I wasn't able to see him even though he was right down the street so uh, you know, but we usually try to link up once or twice a year, and, and do we'll do some events together in the summers. And you know, I consider him uh, not just a mentor, but a dear friend. Oh yeah, that's really cool. Do you like teaching more skills or concepts when you're you know, doing that's, that? Uh, that's pretty interesting. And from a player development standpoint, you know, I, I think that uh, that both are extremely important. And also, I think it very much depends on you know where are you at and what level are we talking about? Because as you get up to the higher levels it becomes less about the skills and more about the concepts you know meaning at the nba level at the d league level a lot of these guys they've got moves that are you know quite outstanding different moves you know different crossovers ways to change direction different ways to finish at the rim and now it's about the right decision making now it's about getting in the right position to use those moves now it's about understanding angles now it's about reading coverages you know so for me at the younger levels it's incredibly important that you focus and hone in on the skills because if you can't shoot past dribble, mm -hmm. then you're never going to be able to identify a side pick and roll coverage as right. being a blue, a push, a blitz, a hedge, a dog, whatever you want to call it, different coverages that you can have in pick and roll situations. But if you can't shoot past and dribble, the rest doesn't even matter. So, you know, for me at the younger, younger ages, it's very important to lay that groundwork early. It's very important to teach them proper form, you know, proper understanding of cuts, you know, things of that nature. And then as you work up the way, it's not my responsibility to tell my guys how to change direction. It's not important whether I say, hey, through the legs, then cross over. For them, it becomes more instinctual, right? So yeah. now it's just about, hey, we're going to attack right here. You got to change directions, and we got to read the coverage and then make the right plays. Is it a pass? Is it a shot? Are we hitting the roll man? Are we hitting the shake man? Are we making the advance pass? And once we understand, you know, that these guys have the ability to already change those directions, it's just more about concepts really than anything else and making sure that whatever we do player development-wise transitions seamlessly 
to what we're going to do in the game. Exactly. And I think that's something that we really hold dear with the Houston Rockets organization. Wow. Yeah. Really so good. from for, for a player standpoint, when do you think that they should have a majority of these skills already established into their game and then start working more towards concepts? Yeah, let's, I would say... Let's say know, ideally, yeah. Really by your you know, freshman, sophomore year in high school, we've got to have a solid fundamental foundation from a skills perspective. That doesn't mean it's not going to be ever expanding. That doesn't mean now we can't get more advanced with our moves as our handles increase. But what that means is... We've got to be able to really do those basic things solid. I mean, you, now certain guys have certain strengths, but the very least, we've got to be able to, you know, make dribbles, simple change direction moves, things like that, you know, have good form, be able to shoot out to the high school three at that point without throwing it, without changing form, you know, and be able to make all the really basic passes. And then from there, things can advance. But I would also like to preface that by saying, I know eighth graders and seventh graders who can do all the same ball handling drills even better, you know, than some NBA players. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you've really been focusing on those skills, and I know the guys and the kids that you guys work with have some tremendous skill level, then it makes it so much easier to get into the concepts. So, as soon as skills have been mastered, we can start shifting our focus, you know, but obviously, if you get to high school and you're not able to shift that focus down to concepts, you're probably a step behind. Love it. Yeah. That's breaking down some knowledge right there, my friend. Agreed. Try it. <laughs> <laughs>